Good morning, everybody. It's 10 o'clock. I'm Tim Harris. That means it's time for Tim with Tim. Uh, we go verse by verse through the Word of God, Monday through Friday, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, here we go. Uh, we are now in the book of 1 Timothy, and uh, and I'm loving it. We just started yesterday, so if you are joining us today, you're not that far behind. Just read the first chapter of the book of 1 Timothy. Today, we're going to talk about verses 12 to 20. Uh, but how you doing? You good? Uh, I love you guys so much. Uh, I really, really do. And I'm looking forward to First Timothy with you. Uh, yesterday, uh, we brought us all the way up to the point of verse 12, where Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me the strength to do his work. Um, you can tell that for Paul to serve Christ is such a privilege. Oh, gosh, I, I know. So the problem with most of us is we just think serving Christ is, is doing work at church, you know, like keeping the nursery. God bless all the nurse workers. We need more and more and more. I'm not saying that we don't. I'm just saying that for most of us, we don't really have this joy and thrill in serving Christ because we've sort of emptied it of any of its real significance and we just make it, you know, helping out at church. That is not what Paul was talking about. It's the gospel. It's the ministry of the gospel in the world, you know, and Paul uh, just sees himself as so privileged to be able to, to receive this honor of serving Christ, to be even associated with Christ and the good news that comes with the gospel. I mean, Paul is just, you know, flabbergasted even, you know, to, to this moment that he has been chosen, blessed, you know, to serve Christ. Again, we all need about a teaspoonful of that in our own lives. We just need to understand what a privilege it is to even bear his name, to be associated with the name of Jesus. But Paul says, he's given me the strength, this honor of doing his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme. See, part of what makes Paul you know, so very amazed that, that Christ would allow him to bear his name and serve him is that Paul just considers himself completely unqualified, completely disqualified by his past life, by his past sin. Now, a whole lot of us, you know, we sort of find a way out of serving Christ because we tell ourselves we feel unworthy. Uh, Paul's position here is a lot more new one. He's not trying to get out of it. He's not trying to come up with an excuse not to serve Christ. The fact that Christ would 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 choose and would honor him, you know, by giving him his name, that, that in itself is enough to fill Paul with such gratitude. He'll, he'll do anything for Jesus, you know. So a lot of us, you know, we act like what we have is a little bit of guilt, but what we have is a lack of desire. We really want to serve Jesus. Paul wants to serve Jesus out of gratitude, but he still can't believe that he's allowed to because of his former life his life of sin. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying and, and everybody should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. Old King James says, he came to save sinners of, uh, of whom I am the chief. I'm the chief sinner. I'm the number one sinner, Paul says. Uh, I find this really interesting. Most of my life uh, in church, growing up in church and, and often being trained as like a soul winner, trained in evangelism, uh, we would take classes and how to tell other people about Jesus. Um, very often we would start with the notion of sin, and, and it's a good place to start, don't get me wrong, but we would start with that, that position of sin. In other words, we would, we would begin with, you know, the, you know, all of sin and fallen short of God's glory, the wages of sin is death. 
and, and we would lead a person to Jesus. Uh, and, and I would say 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that always seemed to work because nearly everybody I ran into had this sense of guilt. They, they carried this sense of, you know, gosh, I really ought to be a better person. I really ought to go to church like my grandma goes to church. My grandma, she's, she's a church-going lady. She's the best Christian I know. You know, I mean, everybody around here, and again, I'm, I'm in the Bible Belt, what they used to call the Bible Belt. You just had this assumption that everybody basically had this you know, this burden of guilt that they, they knew what they ought to do. They weren't doing it. Uh, and, and Jesus was going to be the answer for that. Get back in church, that, that, that kind of thing. I don't know if y'all have talked to anybody out there about Jesus lately, but that is not the world we live in anymore. People don't feel guilty. You know, they do not see themselves as sinners. And if you're, you only think that the only way to evangelism is, is to start with people who think they're sinners and lead them to Jesus, where you're going to have hard time now because people don't think that they're sinners. They don't think they do anything wrong. I mean, people in our culture today are sort of, it's ingrained in them. They're, they're discipled by the world to think of themselves as already morally superior. I mean, people out there, y'all, I don't know if y'all paying attention, but they don't have any sense of right and wrong. As a matter of fact, they don't feel obligated to satisfy anybody else's sense of right and wrong. You know, the, the only wrong thing you can do is fail to be yourself, you know, fail to be true to yourself. You, you, you need to express this, you know, unique individual, you know, expression that you are. And the only way to fail at life is to somehow not be who you are. So if you're born male, but you feel like you may be female, the worst thing you can do, according to the world, is to deny you know, that, that true female self in you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm not making any of that up. That's what people think. That's what people say. And, and so uh, it, it amazes me when you think about Paul and hear Paul's testimony. Like now he says, man, I was the chief sinner. But back before he met Jesus, he didn't think he was the chief sinner. Back before he met Jesus, he thought he was the most righteous Pharisee of all. Understand that? I think it's interesting because it flips the script of evangelism for us because Paul did not meet Jesus thinking he was the chief sinner. Paul met Jesus thinking he was blameless, you know? He was blameless. Uh, I mean, he could give you a pedigree of all the things that made him morally uh, and according to the law righteously superior. And I say, the people you're going to meet in the world these days, that's what they think. They believe that they are superior because they care about the environment or because they recycle or because they're vegan, you know, or, or because they're tolerant. You know, they're so, you know, infinitely able to let everybody else do what they want to do, you know. And in our culture, those are considered the, the cardinal virtues, you know, to care about the environment, to, to, to let other people be themselves, and, and you be true to yourself. Again, it's a standard of righteousness by which now most people measure themselves, and they always come out on top because nobody can judge you, right? Um, but understand, when Paul comes to the realization that he's the chiefs of sinners, it's, it's not because he felt guilty. It's not that. It's because he accepted Christ's verdict for his life. I mean, feeling guilty about your sin is not a prerequisite for being saved. But understanding that you're a sinner, that's a prerequisite. you got to believe 
what Jesus says. And according to Jesus' judgment, Jesus' verdict on all of our lives, we're all sinners. Whether you feel like it or not, you're a sinner, just like I'm a sinner. Because it's not the world's standard. It's not my own standard. It's not that I'm supposed to try to be true to myself, you know, based on my own you know, warped understanding of myself. I'm a sinner because Jesus' standard you know, measures my life and tells me that I'm a sinner. You see what I'm saying? And so Paul didn't come into this thinking he was a sinner, but, but once he hears the gospel, he recognizes that he is. So it, it's not somehow that you must have this self-emotion. You know, It's this self-awareness that you are a sinner. That, that's what is required, and that's what the gospel will provoke in your heart, an awareness of your sin and your need for a Savior. Feeling guilty you know, may have nothing to do with it. You, you understand what I'm saying? Go to the end of the chapter because I'm already out of time. Uh, Paul's talking to Timothy, verse 19. says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. He's already mentioned the conscience in the earliest part of this chapter, a, a pure heart, a clear conscience and genuine faith. Uh, we think of conscience as feeling guilty for something we did, and that's true. Whenever Paul talks about a conscience, he usually modifies it somehow, like a clear conscience or a seared conscience. Um, in Paul's mind, the conscience is, it, it's, it's a slippery kind of thing. If it's informed by the Spirit, then it's pure and you can trust it. But if it's seared or if it's informed by your pagan, your sinful past, or informed by the sinful world around you, it can't be trusted. And, and, and understand, for Paul, conscience isn't just the red light that tells you you did something wrong. Conscience is what determines what you'll do next. Con Conscience is what shapes behavior. In other words, think of conscience as that, like that inner voice, but, but, but what I'm going to do depends upon what my conscience will let me do. You know what I'm saying? And some people, they don't really have a, a conscience that is pure or that is redeemed by the Holy Spirit. Their conscience is just based on you know, what other people do, what the world says is right or wrong or whatever. And so for that reason, they don't have a conscience that's going to protect them or prevent them from falling into sin. And that's why he's saying, you know, Timothy, you got to cling to, your, to a clear conscience. you got to protect that because that's what's going to you know, be the, the, the fence around your life to prevent you from walking off into sin. That's what happened to Hymenaeus, he says, and Alexander. They're two examples, man. You know, they, they, their consciences became seared, became callous, became ill-informed, and so therefore now I've had to you know, put them out you know, and uh, uh, let, let the devil take care of them so they learn not to, not to blaspheme, not to turn against God. See, that's the importance of a, a, a spirit uh, redeemed conscience, you know, that's why a lot of people, you know, they do whatever they want because they don't feel bad about it. They don't, they don't have any conscience. They don't feel bad. You know, that's what I'm saying, man. I mean, you're a sinner. What you're doing is wrong. If the Bible says it's wrong, whether you feel like it's wrong or not, whether your conscience tells you it's wrong, you know, so you can't just follow your conscience. You got to follow Jesus and follow the spirit, Holy Spirit of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? Pick up right here tomorrow. We'll do all of chapter two. Chapter two is going to be hot, you guys. Uh, uh, women should learn, you know, in, in silence. That's verse 
uh, 11. We'll get to it tomorrow. So tomorrow we'll talk about women and silence in the church, all right? Uh, so read ahead, uh, stay in the Word, and I will see you tomorrow morning, uh, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. I love you guys so much. We'll see you tomorrow.